Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. Or you can go to the website, which is firearmscafe.com. On the right-hand side of the page is a Send Voicemail tab. When you click on it, you'll be able to send up to a 90-second message to me using your computer's microphone. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, so please go there and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. Finally, there are the forums at Gun Rights Radio Network, where I have the Firearms Cafe subforum. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump in with the show. Today is Sunday. It is the 23rd of June, 2013. On the last show, I talked a little bit about some uh, getting some ideas or some recommendations for building an AR. And a lot of this stuff was said kind of with the caveat of that I know because of the current political climate and what's happening with availability of stuff – then it's probably going to be maybe another six months or so before things get down to where it's sort of back to normal. Uh, Again, in the last show, I kind of referenced that. I kind of thought that that would sort of be the timeline before we would sort of see. You could just go into pretty much any store, and there's going to be ammo, and there's going to be stuff available. Price-wise, again, I think that it's going to maybe be a little bit longer before the prices kind of come back down. And we've talked about things like, you know, you hear the phrase, the new normal and that type of stuff. Uh, But I was up in Prescott this weekend for a little bit. And I went into, I think it's called J&G Gun Sales. A lot of guys know them from their presence on the internet. And they had uh, quite, they had pretty much all the ammunition was out on their shelves. The prices, though, were a little bit higher. Uh, There was some... They had some 22 long rifle, but it was around like $32 for a box of uh, 500, which again I think is a bit much. If you if you didn't have any at all and you felt that you needed some, it's still under $40 and you get 500 rounds, so uh, that would be a, a way to get it. I wouldn't mind buying maybe one box. I don't think I would try and stock up on it. Uh, so again, I think within probably that six month period we'll see stuff kind of back down at normal prices. Uh, I, I keep noticing and I keep getting emails from FireQuest and some of these other companies saying that they've got ammunition and it's going on sale. Again, prices are still a little bit higher, not like they were before and availability is coming back. Uh, so anyway, 
I was talking about building my own AR. And so I got a uh, email from a person uh, who I, I don't have an actual first name or anything here that I can see, but I'll read what the person wrote off and um, it's actually CI photo. And what I'll do is I'll, he, he or she, uh, I think it's a man puts a, um, a list for his upper and lower build that they did. And I've, I'll put that over on the website in the show notes. Uh, so for basically show number 98. So let me go ahead and read this. It says, hi, Tony, I heard your request for opinions on building your own AR 15. I purchased an assembled upper receiver and built my lower. The first thing I would say is that it's pretty easy. The hardest part is figuring out which part or accessory to buy since the market is flooded with thousands of AR parts from hundreds of suppliers. I'm an engineer, so I typically way overthink things, especially when it allows me to tinker like an AR does. After spending about two months doing my research, I assembled a list of parts I needed and purchased them. I should mention that I already own an LWCR M6A2, so I had a good idea of what I liked and didn't like, and at the top of the list was weight. I did not want a heavy rifle. It had to be light. The list of parts I used with costs and links to them is attached. This has become my favorite rifle among the three that I have. It's incredibly soft, excuse me, incredibly soft shooting. Think 22 Magnum. With minimal recoil, lightweight, short so it swings nicely, and packs and carries easily, and I made it with my own hands. Here are three key points which I believe make this rifle exceptional and independent of what uh, parts or supplier you choose. They will make any carbine exceptional. 1. Mid-length gas system. I don't ever see myself going back to a carbine gas system. The only rationalization people give me when I ask why don't more people move to mid-length is because it's what's been used for 15 plus years in the military, so it's tried and tested. So what? The rifle link system was used since the 60s. I think it's a great compromise between the two. PWS 5.56 muzzle brake. While this will make shooting the rifle quite loud, it really does work. I also would never plan on using a standard A2 muzzle brake for any future rifles. Muzzle brake design is too advantageous not to use the newer options. Number three, Spikes ST-2 heavy buffer. Sure, this will slow down the cycle rate of the rifle, but who cares? I'm not running the gun in full auto. Besides, the gun will still fire as fast as I can pull the trigger. Now, there are a couple of things that I would change if I were building this over. I would not buy anything from Head Down Products. I ordered two separate lower parts kits from them, and one was missing the trigger roll pins, and the other was missing the hand grip. How do you forget to pack the hand grip? I will say that the trigger in this LPK is smoother than those found in Palmetto State Armory. Uh, I've tried. Uh, Number two, the Mako stock is just okay. I really wanted a Safariland collapsible stock with locking cam, which makes the stock lock up and keeps it tight so it doesn't wobble. And this stock was not available when I was building my rifle. Number three, the Daniel Defense backup sight is pretty nifty. It works well, is sturdy, and looks good. But I now want a folding reel sight so I can put an aim point on my rifle. Uh, Consider this if you'll ever want to put optics on your rifle. And number four, I would get a nickel boron coated bolt and carrier group. I don't understand why anyone would get anything else these days. I think nickel boron will be the standard in the future. Spend the extra 50 bucks and get nickel boron. I absolutely love the Bravo Company parts and service. Uh, 
if you use the notify me option on their web page to notify you when they get items in stock, you'll receive an email as soon as the item is stocked, which will almost guarantee that you'll be able to purchase the item. I ordered my upper at 8.30 a.m., and the item shipped at 11 that day. Uh, BCM, which is Bravo Company, uh, always includes goodies with their products. With each upper I've ordered, they've included two training DVDs, stickers, a hat, and posters. If you're looking for lower receivers, which are in stock and ready to ship, check out SWAT Firearms in Texas. They're pretty inexpensive for a billet lower receiver. Good quality, and they have a big selection of colors and finishes. I love the Nickel Boron. I've owned, I've owned one, and my friend owned one, so I can attest to them. And then he gives a link, which I'll put on the, uh, on the website. And he's also got, uh, like I said before, he's given the, the uh, parts list, which again will be over on the website. So if you go over to firearmscafe.com and uh, see the latest posting, well, I guess whenever you're listening to this, it'll be under show number 98. Uh, so again, thanks, CI uh, Photo. If I had your name, I'd, uh, I'd uh, call you by name, but I don't. So... Uh, but anyway, like I said, I'll have that stuff over there. A lot of good information on this. And uh, again, I'm doing a lot of research too, so everything I get helps. So I really appreciate you taking the time and the effort. I know this took a lot of time and effort on your part, so I want to say thank you. Also, I'm sure that in the future, this stuff can also help some other people if they're thinking about maybe taking the plunge and building their own. So again, thanks so much for sending that in. All right, let's go ahead. Oh, before we move on to a different subject, kind of sticking with the uh, AR-15 build, if you go over to, I want to say it's on my timeline. So if you uh, uh, on, on Facebook on uh, on Tony, I think it's under on Tony Brown. Um, I think uh, Ken Kowalski from the Rimfire Podcast had posted a couple of links on there. Uh, if I remember to do it, I'll maybe try and push those links over onto, uh, onto the show notes as well, but hopefully I won't forget. All right, so let's see. I think that's kind of about it for um, the AR-15 stuff for now. But again, if you guys have any other things or other stuff that you've had uh, experience with, go ahead and let me know. And then again, I can put that out on the show and it can, it can be shared with our, uh, with our fellow listeners and stuff. All right, let's move a little bit more into um, kind of the political world here a little bit, I guess you could say. And we have a little bit of feedback from Aaron, so I'll go ahead and play that now. Hi, Tony. This is Aaron in Colorado. Just wanted to give you an update of what was going on in our fair state. The uh, recall of Senator Morris is um, going along swimmingly. Uh, we've passed our first milestone. We've gathered uh, far more signatures than we believe are going to be necessary to uh, recall Morris to Morris. The petitions were taken to uh, Denver today to be counted, so we've got anywhere from 15 to 30 days before we have uh, uh, verification that we've got enough signatures. But with uh, the fact that we were well past the 14,000 signature mark, uh, we shouldn't have any problem. One interesting thing that did happen during the uh, recall uh, signature drive was... uh, Friends, quote-unquote, of uh, Senator Morris were putting out a radio ad that was stating that there was a company that had previously hired uh, convicted felons or convicted criminals, uh, sex offenders, um, and uh, identity thieves to go around and collect sensitive information. 
Um, I do believe this backfired on him because what they did was actually uh, give awareness to our movement. And because of that, I think we got far more signatures than we probably would have otherwise. So it, it definitely backfired. And I believe that uh, Bloomberg was probably the uh, funding guy behind that. So one of uh, three things is probably going to happen now. Once we get enough, once we get the signatures verified, he's either going to resign, um, which is probably unlikely. Um, a lawsuit may be brought to uh, try and uh, postpone the signature, or rather the um, special election. I don't know that that's going to have much effect because we're far enough away from the general election; it probably won't happen. Or third, he just goes through the uh, normal election re-election process uh, after during the special election. So, we'll see. One last thing I wanted to mention was that uh, 55 of the 62 sheriffs in the state of Colorado filed a federal lawsuit to uh, probably, or to try and get the anti-gun bills uh, labeled as unconstitutional and thus off the books. So, just wanted to give you an update and uh, appreciate the show. Thanks. Hey, Tony, it's Aaron. I just got an update for you. Uh, as soon as I finished the recording, I got an email uh, that came through that states we got uh, 16,400, excuse me, 16,046 signatures. We only needed 7,178 signatures to uh, push the recall of uh, Senator Morris forward. So just wanted to give you that quick one. Thanks. Hey, Aaron, thanks for that. I appreciate you sending that in, taking, again, taking the time to do that. Keep us apprised of what's going on out there. It looks like, you know, if you Google the recall election, that there were, I guess, maybe three or four senators that they were trying to get recalled. Uh, the senator whose name is, um, what is it, Morse, is he was the Senate president. Now, like I said, you can Google this and kind of get a little bit more of the background on kind of how it's going and stuff like that. But if I remember right, I think it was him um, that had gone on to, I, I can't remember if he was on like MSNBC or one of these or CNN or one of these places. But anyway, I think it was him that said that he, even though he was getting like four to one, you know, against new restrictive gun legislation, he was going to go ahead and do it anyway. So he was going to basically go against the will of the people because he knew better. And a lot of this is very, very typical of what we're seeing and what we've seen in the past. And when they do stuff like this, there does need to be consequences for them. Now, again, there was uh, Senator John Morse and I think... There was, oh, what was her name? Let me see if I can find it here. Evie Hudak, H-U-D-A-K, was another Colorado state senator who was going to face some recall stuff, but I think they may have backed off on her, and they were focusing more on Morse from some of the stuff that I was being able to find. Um, I know, like Aaron had said in his in his email, they only required you know X amount of... of uh, signatures and they got basically more than double of that. And again, you have to remember that in these state legislative elections, 2000 votes are going to decide whether you're whether you're reelected or whether you're elected in the first place at all. 
So I, I think this guy is probably going to be gone. Uh, if he doesn't get recalled this time when, when his term comes up, he'll probably be gone. Uh, there, there's just been too much... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not blow. I guess blowback for him. There, there's just going to be too much blowback. People are too too aware of things, and they really are understanding. Even let's say if somebody had on on the gun issue, they were kind of iffy about it. They thought it was you know they didn't really care one way or the other. But when it's clear, when it's shown that that you as the as the people of that state reached out and made your will known. You took the time to contact. You took the time to email. You took the time to do all this stuff, and you said, "Do not do this." And your representative, who then it's clear to them what the will of the people wants, and they go against it. You know, a lot of times liberals will talk about they want democracy. They want, you know, uh, that's that's really what they want more than anything. But when they get that. They still just do whatever they want to anyway. And really the only way that you can kind of send a message to these guys and the people like them and these other uh, these other state senators that they're looking at recalling as well is you have to recall at least one of them. And then they're going to back off because then they know the the job that I have, the power that I have, the influence that I have, the chance for me to get kickbacks and bribes and to be let, let in on the ground level of stuff so that I can basically insider trade and not go to jail for it. All that gets taken away if they're not up there and if they don't have that sphere of influence. So that's what these guys are really afraid of losing. Uh, now, we saw kind of the, the opposite of that in, I guess it was Nevada. And I don't know, uh, I, I guess the governor was there was saying that he was going to do a lot of, uh, I think he was going to pass some restrictive legislation or something, or, or maybe something got passed and he was going to veto it. I can't remember which it was. But anyway, the, the kind of the people's voice was heard, and he understood that uh, he needed to listen to the people, otherwise he would be gone. Now, I think too in Colorado, and this I'd be interested to, interested to hear from from uh, Aaron maybe is what do you think is going to happen with the governor there? Uh, do you think he's going to you know he won't make it? Is he going to be term limited out? Yeah, so it would be interesting. It'd be interesting to see what's what's going to happen with that stuff. Um, in my own state, in Arizona, we have Governor Brewer, and she really is. Or, or when she first kind of came in, she replaced. This would be a little bit of kind of a backstory. She replaced Janet Napolitano, who is Department of Homeland Security. She's the head of that under the uh, Obama administration. So Brewer was the was the lieutenant governor. Now in Arizona, the governor and the lieutenant governor are separate races. So a lot of times you'll have uh, maybe a governor who's Republican, and then maybe the lieutenant governor can be, or, or not lieutenant governor. What am I saying? It's Secretary of State. So we don't have a lieutenant governor here. So the Secretary of State can be a different person. But if the governor, if the if the governor leaves or resigns or or is you know. The office is vacated. The Secretary of State then comes in. The way it also works in Arizona is, regardless of when you came in, I think you only get two terms. And what we're seeing now is Brewer is going to be term limited out. She's already been making noises or had made noises in the past that 
her interpretation of it is two elected terms. Now, that's not how, how it's set up, and that's not how the, what the law reads on how it works. But I think what she's going to do is she's going to try and run for what would, in theory, be her third term if she, if she did it and got in. Um, but under her, she's saying she's only won one election, so she's going to say that she can run again. And the reason I kind of give you some of that backstory, and again, this is all just sort of my opinion or what my suppositions, is if you look at when she first came out, she w- was more apt to do more pro-gun stuff. And this last legislative session, we saw from not only from her, but also from our state reps, they didn't do a whole lot to push gun stuff forward. And I think part of that was because of the shootings that had happened. And they basically said, well, we can push some of these basic things through, but for the most part, we're just going to kind of lay low. So I don't know what's going to happen next year for the next legislative session. Um, But they weren't as... The the people that are generally real pro-gun and are a little bit more aggressive weren't as assertive and as aggressive as they probably should have been. And so therefore some of the bills that should have been even put forth in the first place didn't get put forth. And some of them that should have been fought for harder weren't. Getting back to, to, to Brewer, and this is kind of going off of, off of the gun thing a little bit. She's been doing a lot of stuff that is more sort of left of center. And again, I think maybe she's, and this is probably some of the reasons why too, that she hasn't really been as good a friend to us in the gun culture as she had, as she was in the past or as it was alleged that she was going to be. So what we're seeing again is she's a typical politician and there's something that she wants. So she may want to be seen more of a, as a centrist if she thinks that in the next term, in the next uh, uh, presidential election, that she can get a posting because she'll be seen as, uh, again, more kind of a moderate. And so, uh, you know, I I don't know, uh, but we'll see that. So usually the way this stuff is played out in the political arena, of course, is we're probably going to see a Republican in the the, uh, White House uh, on the next go around here. So anyway, uh, let's see. I think that's about it that I wanted to talk about for the political stuff. I think that's it. Um, I saw something interesting on television the other day. And I was flipping through the channels. This is app actually happened when I was up in Prescott. I was flipping through the channels. And it was HLN, I think, which used to be... I did a little bit of research, which is, I think, Headline News Network or Headline Network or something like that. Anyway, it used to be CNN, too. It used to be... Uh, and they changed that over and they do uh, some of the stuff that I had, had first looked at it. They were doing like some crime drama or, or some, you know, things like that. And anyway, they had this thing where they were show, they were running some commercials and it was talking about the Zimmerman trial. Now, the Zimmerman trial, I think, is due, if, if I'm not mistaken, is due to start tomorrow, which will be June 24th of 2013. And this is for people that are maybe listening in the future. But what I've seen already is, depending on what media channel you're looking at, 
is you're seeing the you're seeing bias already. And a long time ago, when this thing first started, I talked about that it's going to kind of die down for a while, and then when the trial starts that back up, they're going to start trying to whip up a frenzy. Uh, they're going to start doing. Um, uh, depending on, again, which media thing, outlet you're looking at, whether it's Fox, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, um, whether it's going to be CBS or certain blogs on the Internet. The the stuff that I saw on this uh, HLN network, basically you could tell that their bias was more towards saying that Zimmerman had murdered uh Trayvon Martin had, had murdered Martin. And I've seen some other things on the internet and going to, going to the different sites about how they're starting to cover this. And the latest thing is, is I guess in the 911 tape, there was somebody was screaming. They're not sure who it was. Of course, Zimmerman is going to say it's him. The family of Martin and the people that represent them are going to say, and the state basically are going to say, no, it was, it was Martin who was screaming. And this was on a 911 call that... A, a woman had done, and you can you can Google this stuff and, and find it uh, pretty easily on the net. Uh, so, depending on the source that you're going to again, and depending on like the photos that they're posting, if they if if well, basically before we jump into that too much, there's basically going to be three camps of people. You're going to have one camp that they have decided that Zimmerman is guilty of murder, and they want to they want to see him go to jail. You have another camp that says it was a clean self defense shoot and he should be a, he should be found not guilty. And then you have a third camp which is one that more that I kind of fall into which is I I can't trust any of these other sources too much. So I have no idea what's going on and what I want is I want to know what really happened. And I don't know that I'll ever get that. I don't know that that will will be resolved for me because a lot of times, and I've I've talked about this in in early early on when I first started podcasting, is that sometimes what we do is if we see that you know somebody in theory was defending themselves or was using a gun, we tend to jump to their side real quick without getting all the facts in. Uh, much the same way that liberals will, you know, kind of jump the other way, and that's something that's not good. You don't ever want to sort of just jump right in and say, "Oh, we need, we immediately need to support this person," uh, because that person maybe they're, you know, maybe they're guilty of of something that that when the facts come out, oh, it turns out they did instigate this thing, or it turns out that they made a situation a lot worse that they didn't ever need to to involve themselves in. And I've gotten a lot of hate mail over the years because I, and I don't mind it, uh, but I've gotten a lot of hate mail over the years that says it uses a very twisted, I hesitate to even call it logic, but it uses a very twisted sense of logic in saying that, in, you know, unless I stopped person B, that I'm going to be responsible later down the road for whatever person B tries to do. Which, which is just it's just it's ridiculous. If you if you think it through at all, you're not responsible for for people's other people's actions. So anyway, my I guess the the point I'm trying to make is what I want to see is I want that information. I, I and I I don't know how it's going to turn out. 
If I had to make a guess, what I would say is because the initial investigation, they weren't going to charge him. I think what probably is going to happen in the trial is that as more and more information comes out and as more and more stuff is released, I think that they're going to find that it was probably a defensive uh, a defensive shoot situation. So it will probably be a, a good shooting. And, you know, and it's kind of... It's one of those things where you don't ever, uh, at least I don't really ever revel in the death of anybody. Um, so it, again, it's kind of a it's a touchy subject and and uh, a sort of a lose lose situation for everybody. But still, having said that, you you really need to think about what situations you're putting yourself in. You need to be aware of what's going on around you. Like we had talked before, and I think I'd done some links on it a couple of shows ago about that murder elevator that they were doing where they were faking basically an attack where some dude was strangling another guy. And I talked about, you know, if you were there as an armed person and that elevator door opens and you you see another guy, he's got the, he's got the other dude's back and he is strangling him. And the guy is looking up to you, he's getting strangled and saying, help me, help me. At that point, based on what you observed and what you would, uh, what a reasonable person would 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 think was happening, what you're seeing basically at that point is an attempted murder. Um, and you would probably be justified in shooting that person uh, because, again, what you're doing is you're 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 saying that you thought that either yourself was in in jeopardy of li- uh, of loss of life or, or being in great bodily harm, or that you thought that that other person who was being attacked was either going to lose their life or was in jeopardy of, of being really, of being injured very, very badly. So anyway, I'm kind of starting to ramble here a little bit. So let me know, let me... Let me know what you guys think. I mean, what do you think about uh, the Trayvon Martin thing and the the Zimmerman trial? And how do you think it's gonna 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 play out? I but the, regardless of what the verdict is going to be, you're really going to start to see the media really start to whip this up. And again, depending on which site you go to or where you're getting your information from, the the what I would uh, term more tip, typically liberal media. Is going to say that uh, you know Zimmerman is guilty. The conservative media, I think they're going to kind of skirt around it a little bit, but they're going to lean toward saying that it was a justifiable shooting, that it was a justifiable homicide, it was a self-defense situation. But I don't think they're really going to come out too much because for them, they've if they kind of keep quiet a little bit and kind of keep keep it on the down low, they don't lose anything. And if it comes out that you know that the uh, that he's guilty, they can say, "Well, yeah, you know, we tried to do a fair and balanced thing, and and it turns out that he was guilty." If if it turns out that he's uh, that it was found to be a justifiable shooting, then you know the conservative groups can say, "Well, you know, we again we tried to do a fair and balanced thing, and, and we were waiting to see what happened, and blah 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 this and blah 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 that." 
so again, like I said, it's it's hard for me to to really trust any of these because they have such an agenda, you know, one way or the other on this stuff. Uh, a lot of these things, and especially you really see that. Maybe not so much with things like Fox News and some of the other things, but you really see that with some of the uh, of the individual blogs. So, like you know, guys like me, uh, basically who either have a podcast or a blog, and you really see that they really demonize uh, Martin, and they really uh, what's the word I want to looking for? They uh, they sort of put up on a on a on a pedestal, and they they. Uh, put flower garlands around Zimmerman and probably the truth lies somewhere in between there somewhere. But, uh, it, it is a funny thing when you look at certain pictures, you know, you, you can tell that they've been doctored. You can tell or that they've selected one. So in, on the liberal site, all the pictures of Zimmerman, he's kind of unshaven, kind of looking scowly. Um, the pictures on the sites that support Zimmerman, of course they show like things of him smiling and clean cut and they show them with a dog, you know. Uh, also on the, on some of the liberal sites I've seen where they've actually gone in and doctored photographs of Martin. Or they're showing photographs of him when he is uh, 14, 13 or 14 years old. And in fact, I think on one of the links that I put, excuse me, um, I think I put a link to an article talking about that... Uh, they're not going to allow that the expert testimony of, of trying to say who's who's actually screaming. The defense, of course, is going to say it's Martin, and, and or uh, the uh, prosecution rather is going to say that they've got experts that can say that it's Martin. The uh, defense is going to say that it's Zimmerman. So the the judge basically isn't going to do that. So I, part, unfortunately, part of that is also going to be a thing of that's going to lead to some of the conspiracy theories, no matter which way it kind of goes. Uh, even if they found Zimmerman guilty, the, the sort of the urban legend is going to probably pop up saying they tried to repress all this information and he still got found guilty and you know the justice system worked. If he's found not guilty or justified, however you want to put it, then they're going to say, well, if that judge had let that stuff in and it's just, you know, that's, you know, it's it's the system against this person, you know, because of race or, you know, because of economic background or whatever you're going to say. So um, I guess the bigger point of this stuff is that the trial is scheduled, from my understanding, is scheduled to start tomorrow. How long this thing is going to go, I don't know. If it's going to go maybe more than a month or two, I don't know. The bigger point is, is we will know when they're going to announce the verdict. I've talked about this before. The day that they're going to announce that verdict, if you're in a, a big city, uh, if, if you're in a small city, make sure that you're trying to be home. Um, don't go out that night. I think there's going to be some unrest. It, you know, it may not be riots. There may be, though, in certain parts of the country. If on your way home from work that day, if you can, try and at least drive home or get home before they make the announcements. Now, they may make the announcements at 2 in the afternoon or something. I don't know. Uh, it's just going to depend on when they do that. Or they may make it early in the morning. Uh, again, I don't know. But if it's possible on that day, if you have to drive through, and I talked about this before, if you have to drive through a crummy part of town, maybe to get home, take a, take a longer way around. Don't go through the crummy part of town. 
Uh, we've seen what can happen to people when they drive into these riots or they come into them unexpectedly. People can get yanked out of their cars. Uh, so I guess the big thing is just make sure that you're not putting yourself in a situation that you don't need to be in. Uh, make sure that you um, are using some common sense. And I mean, I mean, realistically, probably not a lot is going to happen. But I mean, we saw what happened when the Rodney King verdict came in. Um, there was a very unfortunate incident. And it just breaks my heart where a seven-year-old little girl was killed during a police raid into a home. Um, again, I don't have all the facts of that, but it looks like the officer on that is not going to be found guilty. They're going to say it was an, an accident type thing. The way that the police execute certain certain warrants sometimes I think leads to tragic consequences like this. Also the fact that that show another 48 hours was with them. I don't know if maybe that led to them being a little bit more aggressive than they needed to be. Uh, again, I, I, I don't want to comment too much because I don't have all the facts. I haven't done a lot of research on that type of stuff yet, but Part of me says that this could have been avoided, and part of me knows that a lot of times when they do these no-knock warrants and they just bust in, they don't announce, and, and a lot of this stuff is like, look, these are dangerous people that we're breaking into this house on, and if we announce who we are, if we announce our presence, they're, they're gonna, it's going to give them time to arm themselves, and it's, it's officer safety. It puts, us, it puts our officers in danger, which I understand. Uh, logically, I understand that. I understand that from an uh, intellectual point but i also understand that a lot of times these guys go to the wrong house a lot of times they kick down the doors and the person that they're looking for isn't there and a lot of times on these no knock things just think about it if somebody started just boom kicked in your door and rushed in and you're sitting there on your couch and if you had your firearm on you you're you're probably going to go for that and draw and move towards cover and if they've got the wrong house, you're probably going to die. Um, so, but anyway, that's maybe a subject for another another show. And like I said, I don't really have all the information on that stuff. But uh, you know, there just because it's a police agency or just because it's a military thing doesn't mean that they can't make mistakes and have honest mistakes, and that things can't go terribly wrong when they don't want them to go wrong. I don't believe for a second that that officer that shot and killed that little girl wanted that to happen or doesn't care that that happened. I, I, I don't believe that. But I think there are things that need to be done and I think there are reforms that need to be made and put into place and good logical reforms, not just knee-jerk stuff that doesn't do anything or that... Uh, that makes things worse because some of I, I truly believe a lot of these things could be avoided. And a lot of you guys know that I, you know, I used to work, I was a probation officer. So I understand the type of people that are hardcore criminals 
and that truly don't care, uh, you know, about killing people or, or causing chaos and damage, those people need to be dealt with and they need to be, you know, dealt with with extreme caution. But uh, again, much like when we talk about, do you give up rights for security? Do you give up essential freedoms for the promise of temporary security? And we know that when that happens, you really get neither. And when you start saying, yeah, it's okay for the police to come in and do this. Yeah, it's okay for the military to come in and do this. And my Fourth Amendment rights don't mean anything. And habeas corpus doesn't mean anything. And privacy doesn't mean anything anymore. And the ability not to incriminate myself doesn't mean anything anymore. Because we're getting a drug dealer. Or because we're getting a terrorist. That all our rights are suppressed. And all our rights are pushed down. And when that happens, when, when your Fourth Amendment rights get pushed down, when your First Amendment rights get pushed down, when your Second Amendment rights get pushed down, that becomes the norm. Then they say, well, you know, you never were, you know, back in the old days you were able to do that. You were able to post on the internet. Not anymore. That has to be run through a filter. Back on the old days, you were able to uh, be relatively secure in who you called, where you called. Your phone records and all that were part of your, your private uh, documents. Not anymore. It's like the thing with Snowden, whether you... Some people are going to call him a traitor. And some people are going to call him a hero. And some people are going to say he's somewhere in between. But I've, I've one of the things I've always found that is a good test is if you reversed it, if you reversed the situation, and if you said, well... There was a guy over in North Korea or Russia or Poland or in the Sudan or in Iran or one of these other countries. And you were saying, man, they, there was this guy who was working for the secret police in Iraq and they were doing all these things and he came out and he blew the whistle on this stuff and then wanted to get asylum over here in the U.S. You know, what would that be? Would, would you still sort of th think the same thing? And again, you know, when you look at this thing, these agencies are getting more and more blatant in their disregard for the Constitution. But again, they can trade away our freedom because they're giving us safety. And that's not right. And when we see things that are, that are blatantly illegal and blatantly unconstitutional, if Snowden hadn't come forward, do you think anybody would have known about that? And of course, you, see the, you really see the double standard with the media. It's when it was the AP's records, phone records and stuff that were getting surveilled. Ooh, well, that's different. But when it's a Tea Party group or when it's a 
maybe even a gay and lesbian group. Well, that's not that big a deal. But especially if it's a conservative group, well, that's no big deal. Those, those jokers are just getting what they deserve. They're extremists. And people used to say stuff like, well, they're not going to do this stuff to the average person. But it is. That's, that it's you and me that's going to be getting surveilled here. It's you and me that are going to have to be subject in certain states to having your DNA taken when you haven't been convicted of anything. It's you and me that have to stop at a checkpoint and submit to tests when there's no probable cause for us to be stopped. And that stuff, again, those our, right, our, our Fourth Amendment rights to privacy be to secure in our person and our in our in our belongings and our papers. When you go through that checkpoint, you don't have any Fourth Amendment rights. Your ability to travel freely through the country has been in, infringed upon. And if they say, oh, we think he was looking a little squirrely when we asked him if he had any fruit in the car, he was a little nervous, so we're going to pull you over and we're going to totally search your car. I don't know. There are a lot of things about this country that are that are great and make this the most probably the best country in the world. There's a lot of things that are going on in the last 12 to 14 years. We're losing a lot and we're not gaining much. Anyway, I'll jump down off of that uh, soapbox. And I'm going to get right back up on another one. So I got a email from Josh. And he writes in. And this, oh, I'll do a little background. Um, uh, on the last show or two or something, we talked about the Adam Kokesh deal and how he was going to do that march into uh, into D.C. And uh, they were going to go with, with uh, rifles and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out he he shut the shut the march down. Didn't think it was going to be that great a deal, which I thought is probably for the best. And uh, there's another thing that's coming up, and I'll talk about this after I get done with uh, Josh's email that he sent in. Anyway, he writes in, Tony, I really like your idea about not crossing the line from Virginia to D.C. with firearms, but using a banner to make a strong statement. Adam, so Adam Kokesh. Seems to like to make things as extreme as possible. His heart is in the right place, I think. But he was unwilling to listen to any ideas like yours. His new initiative, since he got arrested at a marijuana protest in Philadelphia, is to have a march on each individual state capital and not necessarily armed. He's calling it the final American revolution. And then Josh writes uh, another thing, but we'll, we'll get to the second part in his uh, in his email here in a second. There is a a movement now and. I don't know a lot about it. I've heard little bits and pieces of what they're going to do, I think, is do a toy gun march, which I think is a, is a fantastic idea. It, and it shows, I think it'll show a lot of the absurdity and the ludicrousness of, of what's going on. Um, but they're trying to get people, I think, to maybe do kind of that same march that Adam Kokesh was going to do. But what they're going to do is they're going to have toy guns, like squirt, squirt guns and super soakers and nerf guns, and they're going to march across and march back. Um, 
I think it's a good idea. I think it, it, it makes a point. Anyway, so let's jump back into Josh's email. And this is about talking about me building up an AR-15. And he's asking, have you ever considered the AK-74? Even in the depths of the ammo shortage, uh, 5.45 millimeter was still plentiful and cheap. The same for the magazines. Same advantages being to easily shoot for kids and small frame persons, but considerably cheaper than a solid AR. The two lowers I've owned that have been nothing but great were Yankee Hill Machine. I highly recommend them. Uh, lower parts kits are great as well. Good luck on your build. I've never assembled an upper. The idea of putting my own barrel on makes me nervous, but I'm sure it's quite simple. And this is regards from Josh. So again, Josh, thanks for sending that in. And um, like I said, I'm doing the research on there. One of the reasons, and you talked about the, the AK-74, and I had thought about that, but one of the reasons that I wanted to go again with the AR-15 is I wanted to have something that would be considered to be uh, a common thing, a common rifle, a common platform that I, I would be familiar with. And if I don't want to, you know, I don't usually delve too much into the, you know, sugar, uh, sugar, honey, iced tea hits the fan type stuff. Um, but I do believe in being prepared. And I think that if, if you have something that's common, you're able to better kind of stockpile stuff and prepare things. Um, and also, since it is such a common platform, the likelihood of it going away in the future is is pretty low. Uh, so, again, thanks for sending that in. I really appreciate it. Uh, let's see. I think... Um, oh, what I was talking about before about the Nevada Governor Brian Sandoval which was the universal background checks, uh, an increase type thing in that. Um, so that got, they kind of listened to the public and he actually, I think, I think he vetoed it. I think, because uh, I think that passed through. Um, let's see, let's do a little bit of maybe Arizona centric stuff here real quick. And again, I, I, the reason I talk about some of this stuff and the reason I like to talk about the Arizona Citizens Defense League is because I think it's a model that should be propagated throughout the states. Um, they are really, really good at sending out emails and keeping you aware and abreast of what's going on. Um, so I wanted to uh, to read the thing here real quick. Uh, the following uh, firearms-related bills were signed by the governor in this session, and they were going to actually take place on the 13th of September of this year, of 2013. You had House Bill 2326, and that prohibited maintaining information on a person who possesses, purchases, transfers, or sells a firearm, except in the course of a law enforcement investigation, was signed by the governor. Uh, 2455 said that, Basically, that firearms that were voluntarily surrendered to a state or local uh, agency or entity can't be destroyed and have to be sold. So, again, like a lot of these gun buybacks and stuff like that that they do, uh, or if people, uh, you know, somebody's a widower uh, or uh, they, they say, oh, these were my husband's shotguns, I don't have any interest for them, and they take them into the police, usually they would uh, would destroy those. Uh, I'm sure some of them probably made it to some people's houses though. But anyway, so the, the bill is now that's, that's going to go in is that it has to be, 
uh, it has to be sold. And what the way that they'll sell it is they'll actually they wouldn't sell it like at a public auction or anything. They would sell it to one of the gun stores or to a uh, local FFL dealer. Uh, let's see. Another bill of interest that passed this session is SCR 1016. It says it's going to be a resolution creating a 2014 ballot measure to amend the Arizona Constitution to allow the state to reject federal actions that violate the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution. So that will probably go. I imagine that will probably pass pretty handily here in Arizona. Um, Again, I was kind of disappointed in, in kind of what got through this time with what I felt maybe should have gotten through. Intellectually, I understand why that happened. Um, but we still, even in a state like Arizona, that is pretty pro-gun, we still need to keep vigilant, we still need to keep working, um, and we still need to uh, to make our voices heard, and we still need to participate, at least on the local level, in getting people in there that can um, make a difference for us. Now, another thing about the the Arizona Citizens Defense League, when I first joined up, I think we only had maybe, I want to say maybe like three or four, maybe, I want to say it was around like 3,000 members. Uh, And right now we're right around 9,000. So as a state organization, that is something that we're starting to really have some weight because the, the majority of the people of those 9,000 members that we have now, usually when there's an email uh, request, you know, to, to, to flood in or to contact the things, out of those 9,000, I think the, one of the last things that we got, there was around, I think, six or 7,000, maybe 6,500, not quite 7,000 people that did that. So that means the, the, the vast majority of the people are willing to do that, are willing to get involved and send in the emails, and they make it easy to do that. When those senators get six or seven thousand emails and maybe you know three or four thousand telephone calls saying do not do this or support this or push this through, it works. Unfortunately, it seems to work more, I guess, with the negative aspect, meaning that if they're going to look at maybe passing a, an assault weapons ban on a state level, if they're going to look at doing magazine restrictions, if they're going to look at doing registration. It seems to be easier for us to say, do not do this or you're done, you're gone. And they listen to that. It, it doesn't seem sometimes to work as much in the other directions, although it it is effective, but I think it's more effective going the other way, saying don't do this, don't do that, which is good. Uh, but what we need to work on now is I would like to see in this state that number at least doubled. Um, I would like to see the... Arizona Citizens Defense League have eighteen to twenty thousand members, uh, because then I tell you, boy, we would we would be a voice to be reckoned with. All right, uh, I think that is about it. I think I have jibber jabbered on long enough. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm going to pull up the email here and see if I've got anything else. I'm trying to think if. There's anything else I wanted to talk about. If you sent something in, hopefully I didn't lose it or didn't forget about you. Um, I think that's about it. I think I got everybody in. Like I said, hopefully I did. Uh, if, if I left you out, go ahead and resend it. 
Uh, and again, I'd love to hear from you guys. Let me guys know what you think on the Zimmerman thing. Let me guys know what you think on are the police overreaching. Uh, let me know what you guys think um, on that toy gun march. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think it's silly? Do you, you know, what do you think? All right, my friends. I will talk to you later. Take care. Here we go. One step at a time. Don't be living on the line. I don't need a friend. I got more than on the mind. Sunshine in my brain. Making everyone complain. Radio in the heart. Don't be being so strange. Think I'm losing it. Baby, where have you been?